is a well-respected high school football scout, known for his unpopular opinion and brash commentary. The coach, Keith Miller. He's a well-respected national high school football recruiting analyst. Craig, Craig Biggins. Together they bring you the transparent truth, the world's number one source for high school football recruiting news and interviews. The transparent truth. Tr- 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 <laughs> welcome, welcome. You're now listening to the transparent truth. It's your boy, Coach Keith. Intercom Studios in the Miracle Mile. Not in studio, but I got him on the line. He's a GOAT. It's my main man, Greg Biggins. GB, what it do? What's up, Keith? How you doing over there? I'm doing good. It's recording on a Tuesday. We are going live for the entire show today, Greg. I'm excited about that. We're going to just ride this thing out, see where it takes us. I feel pretty good about that uh about that 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 energy right there about that that vibe I'm getting when I say that but nevertheless it's the transparent truth the number one high school football podcast in America we got a great show for you guys today we're talking recruiting with a goat we've got our sleeper of the week from Sierra Canyon we've got our top performers across the west coast we're going to recap last Friday's big games We're going to talk a little bit about the issues surrounding year-round football, or at least the implications of being a participant in year-round football, which I think is going to be an interesting conversation between Greg and I. Um, But before we get to any of that, the Transparent Truth Recruiting Report. GB, hit us with recruiting, my friend. So late, hot off the presses, Monday night, obviously, recording on a Tuesday, but uh, one of our favorite running backs, George Halani, made a commitment to Boise State. And I love Boise State's program. I think it's such a great fit. And I think a handful of Pac-12 schools might regret slow playing and even passing on George Halani. Utah was the school that we had kind of earmarked him for. And they uh, kind of filled up at the position and decided to go in a different direction. Uh, George bounced back over to Boise State, which was like his number two choice, and, and made the commitment, likes Lee Marks, likes Coach Harson. Hasn't even been to Boise State yet, but he just said he loves the vibe, he loves the opportunity to go in there and, and play early, compete for early playing time. And you kind of compare, uh, uh, not compare, you you bring him in with a guy like Andrew Van Buren from last year. Sure, That's a really nice one-two punch for the Boise State Broncos, Keith. Yeah, you know what? I think it's a great fit. George is a physical downhill runner, tackle to tackle, with enough speed to get to the edge. Boise is a physical downhill running offense. And with already Van Buren in the fold, they got the young kid from Oxnard, Smith, um, who they also signed in the 2017 class, or excuse me, 2018 class. Halani's going to fit in well there. Uh, I predict he will be an all-conference player and play in the NFL. I've always been a fan of George Halani. The Polynesian powerhouse is as physical on contact as a runner you're going to see in the country. He's tough to knock off his feet. He's an excellent football player. Great kid as well. Happy for George. The Halani family. I hear they got six kids. Great job. Congratulations. And uh, bleed blue. I remember the first time I talked to George a couple of years ago, Keith, it was the most awkward thing I've ever done. It, I heard, it was up there. Like He could not speak. He was so uncomfortable, just not used to doing interviews, not really used to speaking. He's a real quiet, introverted kid except on the football field. Sure. And then you talk to him now. Like so We talked for a while last night after he committed, and 
now he's the, the just the, he's the greatest kid ever. I mean, he's the kind of kid you you want to adopt. You want your daughter to date someone like George Lonnie. He's it's awesome just kind of seeing his his transformation just as a as a kid as you get more you know more comfortable with who you are as a person and sure. your personality kind of comes out. It's a blessing. The so Washington State, yeah, yeah. Washington State picked up a couple of linemen over the week. Dante Powell, who was a bounce back, actually signed with Wazoo two years ago out of Richmond, Washington. He's had a uh, played this past year at Arizona Western Junior College, big tackle prospect. Uh, he was a four star out of high school, so nice pickup by the Cougs. Also uh, from San Joaquin Memorial, Connor Gomez, another big offensive lineman going to Wazoo. So how about those Cougs for the big win over Utah? Washington State doing pretty well. I uh, can't talk about the Cougs without talking about the Washington Huskies. I'm sure they probably hate to hear that one. But as always, the Huskies do a phenomenal job recruiting Hawaii, recruiting the islands. Julius Bulo from Kapolei, Hawaii, committed to the Huskies, took an unofficial, uh, excuse me, an official visit over the weekend. Our guy Blair Angulo was all over this one for over a month, uh, as Blair always does. Kind of kept it to himself. The family didn't want it out, that he was even visiting. But... Um, Blair had the scoop on that one. This is a big-time offensive lineman. Offers from just about all the West Coast schools and even some schools beyond. So Washington filling up the trenches with dudes that can play. And again, building a really strong pipeline into Hawaii, which is what you want to do because there's always a ton of talent over there, Polynesian town over there in Hawaii. Hey, listen, first of all, Blair does a great job of keeping things under the vest as I'm sure you know. Secondly, congratulations. You know, a guy who, like you said, didn't want people to know, wanted to do all his work underneath covers, underneath the hype, makes his commitment. Congratulations to him and his family. I think it's fantastic. These kids are finding, uh, you know, their second homes and, you know, a chance to thrive um, at the college level in the classroom and on the football field. Yeah, so Colorado picked up another commitment from a kid who goes by the name Maurice Wilmer, plays at St. Francis in Mountain View, which is in Northern California, not to be confused with the St. Francis out here, coached by the great Jimmy Bonds. This is Maurice Wilmer from NorCal. He's going to the University of Colorado, took his official visit two weeks ago, Keith, but he verbaled over the weekend. Kind of has a little bit of an old-school Tom Osborne, Nebraska-type feel. He plays, he's a big corner slash safety, but they want him as an outside backer. And obviously, when some of those really, really exciting, fast, fun Nebraska defenses back in the 80s, 90s, sure. uh, that's how they did it. We created, you know, DBs for linebackers and linebackers for D-line. Um, so that is it as far as commitments. And a couple of guys will commit this Saturday, Keith. Max Williams will make his long-awaited decision. It's his mother's birthday. So he's going to be dropping a little video, I believe. That will be around 4 o'clock-ish. Pacific Center time, mm-hmm. and I got my crystal ball on USC, Oregon, Utah, Louisville, and Notre Dame are the other schools in the mix. Unfortunately, Max had official trips set to Oregon and Notre Dame that he wasn't able to take because of the torn ACL, but uh, uh, be that as it may, he will make his decision. Also, making their decision will be Braden Trice, big-time defensive end from Sandra Day O'Connor in Glendale, Arizona. He is down to Notre Dame, Oregon, and Washington. I kind of have a Notre Dame vibe with him. But he did visit Washington over the weekend. Sure. And the Huskies always have a way of making things interesting. I, I think Oregon is probably out. But I do think Washington has a uh, has a real shot there. So uh, we shall see about that. But uh, 
other than that, pretty big weekend as far as trips, officially and unofficially. I already mentioned Brandon Trice visited UW. Also, Henry Toto from De La Salle, a big-time linebacker, took his official visit. That was big because this is the only visit he can take during the season. De La Salle players do not take visits during the season. They are focused on one thing and one task, Keith, and that's winning the state championship. But this was their bye weekend. We had heard he was going to visit either Alabama or Tennessee. He's got strong school vibes and, and ties to both those schools. Sure. Tom Lupoy at Bama, Kevin Simon at Tennessee. We thought that might be where he might take his official visit, but he took his visit to UW. Also, uh, John Humphreys, uh, Mark Redman, Ethan Garbers from Corinne Del Mar all took unofficial trips. All those kids are all 2020s. Sure. And uh, John Humphreys and Mark Redman were both offered scholarships by the Huskies. Cal Keith had several players unofficially, including 2020 standout quarterback Jay Butterfield. I love the way Jay throws the football. No doubt. Also, yeah. Also, kind of local linemen Xavier Carlton and Jamar Sakona. They were there unofficially. Uh, a couple of I- ironic, um, a couple of defensive linemen from the SoCal area, Drake Jackson and Stephon Wright, took official visits to Arizona State. The reason why I say it's ironic is because these two guys. Um, it, total coincidence, but they've also officially visited, but on separate weekends, Illinois and Washington, and they set up Arizona State. And again, this was like a package deal. Uh, they know of each other, but it's not like Kayla City visits together. It just happened to be, you know, where they both visited Illinois and Washington. Now this weekend, ASU together, and uh, USC is also probably in their top two or three schools. So um, I think ASU did a pretty good job with both. Achille Arnold took his unofficial visit to ASU. They offered a scholarship, which was awesome. That was his first Pac-12 offer. So pretty dang happy for Achille Arnold. Oregon State also um, offered Achille over the weekend. And then uh, one of the top players in the 2021 class, Christian Dixon out of Diamond Ranch, he also took an unofficial visit to ASU. So ASU doing a pretty nice job in terms of uh, getting kids on campus. Travion Travion Brown, excuse me, um, from Temecula, he goes to Linfield Christian. He took his official visit to Washington State. And I think the Cougs are actually in a pretty decent spot for Trayvon. He's kind of a multi-dimensional two-way athlete, but they like him as a linebacker. Um, so we shall see what happens with Mr. Trayvon Brown. Yali Liku Keith took his official visit mm-hmm. to the University of Colorado. He is from Oakland, California. Also officially visited UCLA. I think Cal is heavily in the mix, but he came out of that visit saying that his new leader was Colorado. So watch out for Cal. They'll probably get one of his last trips, but Siali Liku, who plays both sides of the ball, really loved it in Boulder, Colorado. That was one of my favorite schools, if not my favorite college when I was growing up in high school. Love the helmets. Love the Buffalo. Big time. Big time Buffalo, Keith. Hey, how about Isaiah Foskey, Keith? Love him. Official visit. Oh, yeah. Notre Dame. Uh oh. Liked it a lot. Wow. Watch out for the Irish. Tyler Buckner, 2021 quarterback, took his unofficial visit to Notre Dame. He liked it a lot. That was actually his second time he camped with them over the summer, and the Irish offered. Another guy uh, who we'll talk about later on who tore his ACL on the first series of the first game of the year. And again, I don't want to talk too much about that now, but he is also an elite, elite, elite lacrosse player, so maybe a little little rest might not be a horrible thing, and we'll talk about that later on. 
Hey, how about Josh Calvert from Oaks Christian High School? They are undefeated right now, doing really, really well. They had a bye this past weekend, so Josh took his official visit to Michigan State. Keith, he's down to the Spartans and UCLA, where his older brother, Bo Calvert, is a current freshman linebacker. Hmm. And Keith, that is going to do it for recruiting notes. Very nice. Josh Calvert. GB, you think he's going to end up at UCLA like his brother? You know, I don't know because, you know, UCLA, they, they recruit so weird. I don't know how heavily they're recruiting him. Right. I think if they make a big push, I think they would get him. I think, you know, playing with his brother is a big deal for him. They're a really tight-knit family. And I think Southern California is uh, is definitely an attraction to him. I think it just depends on how badly does UCLA want him and how badly are they pushing for him. If they're kind of slow playing them, not because they don't like him, just because, you know, that's just kind of their style right now. Uh, I could definitely see him leaving and going to Michigan State. He kind of, he's kind of a Big Ten kind of a kid, you know, playing style. They like him as an inside linebacker. So he really fits their defense well. And, and uh, he was actually hosted by Parks Gissinger, who played at Chaminade, another California kid. And, and Parks said he loves it out there. So there is some ties out there for him. So I would not be shocked if he goes to Michigan State. Very interesting. Very, very interesting. Josh Coward got a chance to be a big-time linebacker at the next level. Once I think he focuses yeah. all his attention on the position and doesn't have to concern himself with his development and production as a quarterback for his high school team, but he's got a lot of talent. they got good lineage in that uh, Calvert family, so uh, it's going to be interesting to see how that unfolds kind of as we move move forward here, GB. Yep, no, no doubt. And uh, you mentioned it. It's, it's, you don't really see too many linebackers who, when they play offense, usually they play tight end or running back. You don't see too many linebackers who play quarterback. So it's a very technical position. So he's got to spend a lot of time on the offensive side of the ball, meeting rooms, and learning the offense. You can't just go out and just work on, you know, banging guys, which you know he wants to do. So like you, I I definitely think his game will take a big jump once he can just play one side of the ball and just defensively. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. Right now, GB, I appreciate all your efforts. But it's time, man. It's time for our Sleeper of the Week. It's time for our Sit and Sleep Sleeper of the Week. Really want to thank our guy, Larry Miller. He's allowing us to showcase unknown prospects that need to be brought to the spotlight. Larry is all about family and community, and his support is helping to change the lives of young players across the country. Each week, young men are getting scholarship offers after being featured on this show. So thank you, Larry. When we have business and a man that is really interested in the community, we need to show our support right back at him. Sit and Sleep is the only place that offers advanced sleep technology. Greg? Body diagnostics. That's five-star stuff. This is high-quality stuff. Lay down on a mattress, and within seconds, thousands of sensors can help you find the absolute right mattress for you. Wow, within seconds? Seconds. Man, that's awesome. Sit and Sleep. They'll beat anyone's advertised price, or your mattress is free. Appreciate you, Larry Miller. Thank you, Larry. Our Sleeper of the Week this week, a young 2021 prospect. I got a chance to lay some eyes on not long ago. Had a big week this past Friday. I want to talk a little bit about wide receiver DJ Harvey, Sierra Canyon High School, an explosive, twitchy playmaker not only as a receiver, but also in the return game. Excellent speed, change of direction, can stop on a dime and cut back and leave you with change. DJ Harvey, soft hands. He's a playmaker with the football. You get in his hands, he can go, and he can get goals in a second, GB. I like him. 
2021 kid means he's only a sophomore. I think he's got a nice future ahead of him. Uh, I can see him doing a lot of work in a spread offense, getting the ball out in space, making people miss, and giving defensive coordinators headaches um, for the next couple of years in high school and then off to college. So DJ Harvey, Sierra Canyon, 2021 wide receiver. The Transparent Truth, Sleeper of the Week, sponsored by Sit and Sleep. GB, it's time for our top performers, my friend. Yes, this is one of your favorite parts of the show, just shouting at those kids who got it done over the weekend. It is my favorite part. Might be your least favorite, but (laughs) that's okay, uh, because I will carry us. So here we go. Week six, and it's crazy to say week six already. How fast is this season going by? Man, it's it's going to be week seven this week. So week six top performer is going to start off with a newly committed running back, George Holani, the Polynesian powerhouse out of St. John Bosco. Big time game on television. Four touchdowns, one receiving, three rushing, and some punishing runs versus the J. Sarah Lions. George Holani. Big time game for you. Running back Octavio Cortez, Centennial High School, four touchdowns rushing. Running back Ryan Wilson out of Palos Verdes, four touchdowns rushing. Wide receiver JoJo Forrest out of Mission Viejo, five total touchdowns. He had five in all in the first half. Big time game for JoJo, who has really ascended here his senior season at Mission Viejo. Quarterback Jaden Daniels out of Cajon. 358 yards, four touchdowns with 127 yards rushing and three touchdowns. He's putting up video game-like numbers as he normally does. Wide receiver, sleeper of the week, DJ Harvey, the sophomore Sierra Canyon. Three touchdowns. He had a 94-yard kickoff return, a 12-yard rushing touchdown, and a 45-yard receiving touchdown, GB. Lastly, that I have here for our southern section, quarterback Ryan Zanelli. 15 for 18, 304, and five touchdowns. GB, what you got? Yeah, I thought you were going to finish up Ryan Zanelli piggybacking Mr. Clark Phillips. I was going to leave that for you, big fella. You were going to leave that for me to leave with a scrap. Well, that's not scrap. That's that's big time. That is big time. Yeah, it is. That's eight. Dude, speaking of Zanelli, dude, I'm always impressed when a guy has more touchdowns than incomplete passes. That's that's a nice nice stat line by Ryan Zanelli. Clark Phillips caught three of those five touchdowns. Eight catches, 234 yards, Keith. Yeah. For Clark Phillips. Dude, he's becoming quite the receiver this year. Did you call out Ryan Helinski already? I did not. Go ahead and knock that down. So, Ryan Helinski, very emotional week for the Orange Blue Lanthers. I'm not sure you you heard all that was going down. But uh, he threw for 358 yards and four touchdowns and rushed for one, Keith. Also, he led a last two-minute drive to get the Lancers down to the 10-yard line where, unlike last week, this week they hit the field goal. My you guy, Logan Lawyer. You know why they hit the field goal? Yeah. <laughs> Go with it. And we're not going to call it anybody's name, but last year, Logan Lawyer was the kicker. This year, he was not the kicker. Yeah. Until this past week. Logan Lawyer, 12 catches, 138 yards and two touchdowns, and, like I just mentioned, the game-winning Field goal from 27 yards out as time expired. Nice. The Lancers get that win. Huge, huge win. How about a kid who goes by the name of Miller Boss? How about 24 or 35 for 453 yards, Keith? Four, yes. five, three, and three touchdowns against his former team, the Loyola Cubs. 
Alameda blew them out. He had three receivers go over 100 yards, but I'm going to shout out just the just the top guy, Jay Sean Todd, who had eight catches for 153 yards. Actually, I'll shout out Alonzo Fontenet also. He had two touchdowns. He's only a sophomore. Kid's going to be a big-time kid, Alonzo Fontenet. Two touchdowns. He had 123 yards. But a kid named Xavier Ford from Glendora. Keith, running back. How about 285 yards and three touchdowns? Oh, yeah. How about you name Jaden Daniels? He had a receiver, Lorenzo McMillan, who made his debut. He did a little five-game sit-out. Mm-hmm. All he did was catch four catches for 130 yards and three touchdowns. Four catches, three touchdowns. That was his first game of the year. He actually absolutely had a great game. And then another kid, yeah, this is, uh, I got two more here, and that's all you, Keith. Go with Kane, it. Kane Savage. Talked about him a little bit before air. Kane Savage, a junior from Western High School. He had 19 catches, Keith. That's a decent season for some guys. Mm-hmm. 19 catches. That is third in Orange County history for 242 yards and three touchdowns, including Keith, the game winner with nine seconds left. And, oh, by the way, he had seven tackles playing safety as well. He's just a junior. So watch out for Kane Savage, Western High School, getting it done on both sides of the ball. And last, but definitely not least, you mentioned George Halati, um, the best player on the field, and the second best, if not, we can maybe say 1A to 1B, was a guy that I know you love quite a bit. Jaden Genova, 11 tackles, one sack, and a block punt that they picked up and they would score on a few plays later. So nice job with the super sophomore, Jaden Genova. Yeah, no question. No question. Big-time player. Um, GB, you talked a little bit about some emotional things going over on at Orange Lutheran. Before we continue our top performer, you want to get into that really quick? So I don't remember the name, but they actually had a former alum come back and and speak to, you know, he had cancer, and he spoke to the team a couple of weeks ago. Great stories. Walk on at TCU. Earn a scholarship. Um, They end up, you know, kind of like a little local folk folk hero because he was at, you know, that gritty-gutty, you know, walk on. Well, he died this past week. So they, they brought his jersey out before the game. They had his number on their helmets. Uh, and they've had a, it's been an emotional year. Obviously, everyone knows about Ryan Helensky's story, but, you know, they've had three starting offensive linemen out. Uh, Kyle Ford's out. Reggie Strong is out. These are season ending. These, are, these aren't little one game, two. These are five starters all out for the season. So you combine, you know, the former alumni who just gave him a, a, a pep talk two weeks ago. Sure. He dies this past week. And, and obviously, you know, all this is already on Ryan. You know, he's had several times this year where he's really bald in the middle of a game just because of the emotion of what's going on with him. So you had the emotional uh, loss to Mission Viejo a week ago when a last-second field goal was gone. So just all these things kind of just came to a head this past week. And, and that's why I don't ever, you know, try to root for one team over another. But I was happy to see Orange Lutheran get a win. Just because, man, if anyone deserved a win, it was the, it was the Lancers this past week. Hey, man, very well said, GB. And Ryan... Helensky, Bo is what I like to call him these days. Special football player leads his team down and gets a dub. Shout out to Logan. A football player is going to be a football player, I can tell you that. Let's move along. San Diego area. Running back Eli Noya from Helix. 319 yards on 18 carries and five touchdowns. He blew up the field. Oceanside wide receiver Dylan York. Six catches, 205, three touchdowns. Quarterback Gunner Gray. 
he completed 27 of 43, 477 yards and four touchdowns. Rancho Buena Vista running back, Dorian Richardson, who's been on here multiple times this year, 33 totes, 242 yards and three tubs. Orange Glenn's Kyle Excuse me, Kale Patterson. He's been on here a couple times as well. 35 carries, 271, three touchdowns. Morse running back Isaiah Thompson, 19 carries, 215, and five touchdowns. Last but not least from San Diego, and I'm really, really liking this kid. Multiple performer, repeat performer, excuse me, on our list here. Kearney quarterback Kenyon Williams, 13 for 17, 334, five touchdowns. The kid has been killing it this year. You better look out for Kearney. They're balling out and they're putting up numbers. Let's take it to NorCal really quick, GB. Running back Austin Jones, my guy over there, Bishop O'Dowd, Napoleon Kaufman head coach, 10 carries, 124, but four touchdowns. Running back Lee Masters, Gun High School, 19 carries, 215 yards, Two touchdowns, 15 tackles on defense, and a TFL. He got his ball out on, even though they lost the game uh, by, I think, three, 36-33. Jeremiah Bonner from Hayes High School. Excuse me, Jeremiah, Jeremiah Bonner Hayes from Bradshaw Christian. He had five touchdowns and a win over Liberty Ranch. Andre Crump from Monterey Trail. He caught three touchdown passes and returned an interception for a touchdown, 84 yards. Lavelle Bailey from Burbank. He accounted for four first-half touchdowns in a 65-0 win over Laguna Creek. Take it to the Pacific Northwest really quick. 2021 quarterback Sam Heward out of Kennedy Catholic. 531 yards, three touchdowns. Nobody's been able to stop Sam Heward all year long. He is blowing up the stat sheet ridiculously. Let's take it to Arizona. Oklahoma committed quarterback Spencer Radler, 27 of 30, 345, three touchdowns, 100 yards rushing, and another touchdown. And he also had a receiving touchdown, Greg. He broke the Arizona State all-time passing record. Congratulations to Spencer. Big-time kid, big-time Football player, big-time quarterback. Wide receiver Eddie McClendon out of Mesa. Nine catches, 225, six touchdowns. Nobody guarded Eddie the entire football game. And he also returned a fumble for a touchdown. So seven total touchdowns for my guy Eddie McClendon from Mesa High School. Then we got a running back. Listen to this combo. Running back, defensive tackle, Cosmez Queti from Phoenix Central. Four sacks. Three TFLs, two rushing touchdowns. That's a big-time performance. Lastly, running back DeCarlos Brooks out of Chandler High School. 43 carries, 246 bills, two tubs. GB, that does it for my stat stars and top performers. I love I love the combination of what you said, running back, you tackle. He must be a hoss. <laughs> oh, that is a great combo. He might be five nine, probably two thirty. Oh my! We need to figure this guy out. We need to find out what the deal is there. But uh, so when you rattle off those, no pun intended, when you rattle off those numbers on Spencer Rattler, and all I can think about was how good is this kid going to be in that offense? I watched a little bit of their game and just saw Kyle Murray just absolutely killing it. Yeah, and obviously we know what Baker Mayfield did. Just like that offense is just tailor made. For Spencer Rattler, it's incredible. You know, Kyle Murray, unfortunately, we're not going to be able to see what Kyle Murray could potentially do as an NFL quarterback. But, uh, God, what a great system and what a great fit for him at uh, at the next level playing in Norman. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. Uh, 
you can see the similarities. For me, it's Rattler and Baker, right? Rattler's not a speed guy. He's not going to outrun a bunch of people. But if you say Rattler and Baker, I think that's a really good, really, really good comparison just as far as high IQ kids that can play and make the roles and have that clutch gene and really have that moxie you know he's going to do a very nice job and they're going to be tough to deal with uh, with him in the foe ain't no doubt about that GB yeah but I'm sure if you remember remember Kyler you know in high school man he had the clutch gene he was you know Allen high school in yeah. Texas and he he was four times state he was champ special Man, he was a special, special talent for sure. Five-star quarterback under six feet. The first quarterback we've ever had as a five-star under six feet. Um, so, yeah, I think that kid is really, really good. I'm, I'm Again, it's kind of disappointing that he's going to play for the Oakland A's. Hopefully, I never have to see him. <laughs> you know, I'm an Angels fan. But uh, best of luck anyway, Kyle Murray. But, no, I'm, I'm excited about Spencer Rattler for sure. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. Let's move along, my man. It's time for a little bit of game recaps, Greg. Game recaps. What do you got for us? What, what was or the picks last week? Did they cover the line? Let's talk about it. Um, let's talk about. Let's start off with uh, what's a good one to start off with. Let's start off with the. Uh, we kind of teased it already. How about the Orange Lou Santa Margarita game? Okay. You had this one as an 18 point blowout for the Lancers. But this game required a last-second, two-minute drive yes. of the great Ryan Helensky to get that done. It was back and forth, back and forth, and I was following it on Twitter, just trying to follow the different, you know, different people that were covering it because it wasn't on PrepZone or anything. But I already mentioned it. Uh, Logan Loya steps up, drills the field goal. Time expired. Both teams, you know, moved the ball over 470 yards of offense. For both teams, Peter Costelli had a really big game for Santa Margarita. He was kind of going throw for throw with with Ryan Helinski. Uh They didn't have Jake Thomas, their running back. Santa Margarita did not. So uh, Nick Barcelos had 148 yards rushing for Santa Margarita. They played really, really well. Like I mentioned, Olu playing without three starting OLs, and I'll tell you what, not even Bosco or Mater Day has the kind of depth to withstand three starting OLs, more or less Orange Lutheran. So. Uh, you know they're just kind of trying to put a line together. No Cal Ford, no Reggie Strong. Just a gritty, gutty win. Judge um, Hawkins had a, had a nice slant for 70 yards. Mentioned Loy already. Huge, huge, gutty, gutty win uh, for the Lancers. And, you know, they were 0-5 last year in league play. Man, if they start off this game, um, excuse me, they start off league play with a tough loss after a tough loss the week before against Mission Viejo and I don't think they recover yeah. from that at all so big win for the Lancers tough loss for the Eagles but I think Santa Margarita really young team and uh, I think maybe not this year but they got a chance to be really good next year Olu getting, trying to battle through some injuries they get to go up against probably an angry St. John Bosco team this week so it's not going to get a whole lot easier for them it's going to get a whole lot harder but uh more or less, not nice job by Olu to pull that one out. You know what? We talked last week about Olu really fiercely in an attempt to get this monkey off their back, getting that Trinity League offer taste out of their mouth from the 17th season. 
and I think it showed up there late in the game in the fourth quarter, Greg, when when you've got to make a drive to win the game, you're talking about 11 guys banded together, focused and determined on doing their individual job correctly so that collectively you can reach your goal by going down making plays and putting the ball either A in the end zone or B through the uprights. My hat is off. Uh, You talked about it before. It's been an emotional, emotional deal with Orange Lutheran and all the setbacks that they've had. But, you know, it's a testament to the character of those kids, the job the coaching staff has done, um, getting those guys prepared and trying to keep them as focused as possible considering the distractions and not just the distraction but the emotional turmoil that they've gone through over the course of the last I don't know let's just call it 12 months right let's just call it 12 months um, so my hat is off to those guys the Lancers get the job done they get their first training league victory in over a year dramatic unbelievable performance by Ryan Helensky big bow leading this squad Logan stepping up as a kicker also making plays as a wide out and uh, very happy for those guys um, for more than one reason right not just because they got the win they showed some heart and some guts but uh, they probably deserved it more than probably any team in the southern section considering the circumstances that surrounded this game yeah no doubt and and I should have shouted him out earlier I forgot but uh Linebacker for Olu, Zach Brogdon, had 18 tackles nice. in this game. He, nice. He's really, really good. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you know, they give up a lot of passing yards, but uh, uh, Zach Brogdon had a really good game. How about, a game I watched, I actually stayed home over the weekend because I wanted to watch. There was three games I wanted to watch. Two of them were prep zone games. I kind of wanted to watch the Calabasas-Westlake game. I was really intrigued by that. And I wanted to watch the bosco J Sarah game and also watch the Monday Survey game. But Calabasas-Westlake, Keith, um, you had that one 35-24. Yeah. I don't remember who you picked. I, uh, like I picked Calabasas. You picked okay, so Calabasas won 20 to 14. It was it was Westlake was up 14. It was kind of a kind of a weird game, not a lot of not a lot of great amount of flow to it. Um, but Westlake was up at the half 14 to nothing and it was a game that Calabasas just couldn't get their offense going. I want to say Jaden Casey was sacked like five or six times in the first half alone. Um, they couldn't throw it. They couldn't run it that well. Westlake took advantage. Westlake was playing really physical. He had, you know, Cam, Fabi Kalanen lock it up on the outside. Uh, Gabe Floyd had a couple of nice plays. He had a touchdown run. He's playing, you know, both both ways. Second half, different story. Westlake could not move the ball at all. Calabasas made plays. Jaden Casey uh, ended up going for about 180 yards in that game. I, I, I would bet most of those were in the second half. Um, Jermaine Burton kind of touched down. Uh, Micah Pittman made some plays, um, but it kind of came down to the wire. It's kind of an exciting. Brent Kaufman had the had the touchdown run for Calabash to give him that lead, but Westlake drives down to the field, gets in the red zone, and on the last play of the game, quarterback throws Roberg, Patrick Roberg throws yeah. a beautiful corner route to Jason Heller. He's got his guy beat by about a yard and a half, and. Kylan Ross, and it's all over Twitter, makes an unbelievable pass breakup where you couldn't have timed it any better. I mean, it was absolute picture perfect. Times it perfectly, breaks the ball up in the corner of the end zone. I mean, this is a touchdown. Play the fight song. Once they kick the extra point, they win this game. So, nice play by Kylan Ross, the corner for Calabasas. 
second week in a row they had to rally. They were down last week too. So Calabas is making things interesting, um, but they're winning with defense, right? It's not like it was, you know, greatest show on turf a couple of years previously. Um, but Chris Claiborne kind of has his identity, and I'm sure he would love to win games, you know, by 50. But right now, man, they're just gutting it and gritting it out. And Calabasas is a big win over Westlake. That's Westlake's second loss in a row. Uh, Calabasas now 6-1. and one. So uh, nice job by the Calabasas Coyotes. You know, I think this will pay dividends for Calabasas down the road. Remember last year, they took an L deep in the playoffs, couldn't stop anybody. Uh, they took a whooping. I think it was in the quarterfinals. Now you look at it, Calabasas, 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 you know, leading with a physical defense. You know, 12 hats to the foot, excuse me, 11 hats to the ball, being physical, like they had 12 players on the football field. They got guys in pursuit. They're running fast. They're hitting hard. We all we already know about the skilled players on offense. That doesn't need to be mentioned. But the defense, Holton, an explosive, Jason Heller, Patrick Roberg, that fat, you know Cam Fabian, that explosive Westlake offense, to only 14 points, really shut them out in the second half. Pretty impressive by the Calabasas defense. They get a W on the comeback. I did see the last play of the game. Ball was a little underthrown. Heller's waiting on it. And Ross comes, knocks it away. Great timing. Lucky timing, if you ask me. Nevertheless, makes the play, and Calabasas gets the W. Man, I don't, I don't see. I'm not a believer in luck. I think you make plays. Okay. You make plays. How about this one, Keith? How about modern day? Over Servite. 35 to nothing. A little trippy, Keith. No. Did you watch any of this game? I didn't for reasons, but a little chippy, modern day servite? It can't so be. It was, it, it was kind of, yeah. So obviously, you know, it, this is a rivalry game. And, you know, there was some there was some bad blood beforehand. I don't know if you saw the videos of it. Servite had a, had a modern day, had, had a car painted modern day, and they were smashing the car. And, and they were just, you know, the Servite, it's called the Asylum. Their home crowd is about as loud as you can possibly be. And they were all riled up. And, like, they were just kind of a, you know, kind of that atmosphere of, like, yeah, this one's going to have a little bit of an edge to them. ton of penalties after the play was over. Um, 35 to nothing. Modern day, this cost them a little bit of rip after the game as well. Uh, modern day at the goal line, had their second stringers in. It's 35 to nothing. They're still trying to score. So I think Servite staff and, and Troy Thomas weren't happy about that. There may or may not have been some words exchanged during the mm. handshake line. Mm. Um, so, I mean, that's, uh, you know, that's one of those debates that you can, you know, is it, uh, you know, do you, do you take a knee when the game is over? When it's your second and third stringers who work hard in practice, do you allow them to play out and score a touchdown? Yeah. You know, is it does it matter if it's a rivalry game? And maybe you feel like your team was cheap-shotted. Does, does that go in, in, into the factor, into the equation of if you should score or not or take, a, take the knee? I don't know what your philosophy in that, though, Keith, was. But regardless, uh, it was modern day, 35 to nothing. Wasn't really that close. Uh, you know, Servites moved the ball yeah, in spurts, but not too much. Yeah. You know, Elias Ricks had his fourth interception, his third pick six. The first one actually counted because the first two he had – uh, we're wiped out with penalties. I said, man, it still looks good on the highlight tape. Uh, Bryce Young, efficient, 
15 to 19, just four balls hit the ground. Right. Uh, two more touchdowns. Also ran for a touchdown. Um, An unbelievable run, by the way. Oh, the one for Bryce? Yeah. Kind of juked, juked a couple guys. And a like, couple guys missed. Yeah. Yeah. He's special. What about the run that uh, that Sean Dollars had where he weaved from one side to the other? Made, made about three, four guys miss, and he's coasting into the end zone, Keith. Yeah, Dollars is he's a player. into the end zone. They got Keith. a lot of guys. No, but did you, did you, did you, the, the survey player ran behind and punched the ball in the end zone for a touchback. Oh, really? No, I, I didn't see the play. Good lesson for Dollars and others who saw it. Um, it, it, was, it was Leon Lett. I mean, he... Could have just jumped. He could have spread in, but he kind of, you know, he's. It was a phenomenal run to the last yard. He kind of puts it into, you know, into second gear and he's cruising. You know, the serve right dad, man. He's he's hustling, yeah. and uh, he punches it out. So no, definitely a lesson for for Sean. Money dollars. That would have been his second touchdown of the night. But uh, now modern day's really good. Servite been saying a lot. They will be good. Good underclass teams. Just not ready yet. Yeah. Um, for this, but. Uh, yeah, like I said, man, it was a rivalry game. A lot of chip and a lot of edge to it. For a lot sure. of chip and dip, baby. Chip but you know what, dip. GB? I wouldn't have football played any other way. I need football to be chippy. Considering the era we are in where they don't really want you to touch the quarterback, they don't really want you to hit somebody who's not looking, they really don't want you to hit a receiver <laughs> across the middle at all. I need to find some chips and dips somewhere, Greg, because at this point, the game of football is taking a beating in terms of, you know, f- entertainment. Yeah. Is it actually that much fun to watch anymore? I don't know. You can't sack a guy. You can't hit a guy. What can you do? You know, you can grab a flag. You can grab a flag. Watching that Rams offense is sure a lot of fun for me, Keith Miller. I hear that. I will. I will smile and say, "Hey, <laughs> you, you deserve this it." Is what it's going to take? You've been in the dump since two thousand, so oh, you deserve man, it. it's been a long time. No, I, dude, I'm with you though. I'm with you 100. I, I I don't like. I'm not a huge fan of chippiness if it leads to cheap shots and someone getting hurt. You know, but if it's just a little, you know, extra hit here, extra push there, but uh, I, I don't like cheap shots. Sometimes the obnoxious trash talk kind of gets to me, especially if you're down by 40 and you still see guys like, you know, they'll do something, make a play, and they'll get in some guy's face. I'm like, dude, you're, you're losing by 40. That's when you shut up. Yeah, of course. Beating and and yeah. don't don't talk. Right. One little gesture, moving your arm in the direction of the scoreboard, usually should shut that person up. But, yeah. uh, you know, I do agree the game has gotten much softer from the times when we were young. There's, It's not even the same game. It is not the same game. And that sucks. But we're trying to make it safe. Yeah. We're trying to make it soft. And I think we're succeeding in that yeah. in that uh, endeavor. Nevertheless, yeah. GB, what else we got That's on the, the slate? So we got two games left. We got Bishop Amont over Shamanad. Uh, Bishop Amont pulled this one out 20 to 27. And... A missed extra point, as they always kind of do at the high school level, kind of came back to haunt him. But Blake Archuleta, you know, this is his third year starting, multi-purpose guy, also a good baseball player. Really, really solid game. Um, 22 of 31 for 214 yards and two touchdowns. Also uh, rushed for close to 50 yards. 
kind of led a, a you know a late minute drive, not a last minute drive, but you know late in the game, five minutes to go. You know he led the team, and this was a huge game because you know Shamanade has won the league the last couple of years. I, I don't know if we thought there was a favorite. I think we both picked Fitch Vermont yeah. to win the game, but it was still a case of you know until someone beats Shamanade, you know you gotta you gotta kind of think Shamanade's got a chance to, to win the league. You know Sarah got blown out by Notre Dame, and you know Alameda's improved, but. The winner of this game, you could probably say, is the uh, is the favorite to win the league now. And so, Fitch Vermont again played that really really tough schedule. Right. They played Taysha, they played Modern Day, so they played a, a really tough schedule. I think they're battle tested right now. Um, they got some guys. They're playing well defensively. They sacked Ryan Stevens uh, several different times, and they able to run the football. Uh, Shamanad, they able were able to actually run the ball a little bit. They were you know haven't done much offensively at all. Uh, Alex. Oku Rubido. Oku Rubido, absolutely. Oku Rubido had a nice game with 137 yards. So hopefully Shamanada can kind of get rolling a little bit. Hmm. Uh, but Fishman, I, I read a stat. Fishman has has 42 seniors on the roster. Keith. Nice. 42 seniors. So this is kind of their year yeah. to get something done. So um, with this win, I, I think that definitely makes them the favorite in, in the league. What about and, Notre uh, Dame, GB? Absolutely. Yeah. They're just taking the Sarah Cows to the woodshed. So Behind the woodshed. They got some guys. You know, I, last time <laughs> I talked to Bucky Brooks, he told me they they have some guys. So kind yeah. of some under-the-radar players. But, yeah, you better watch out for uh, for Notre Dame. And I, I think that might be who Bish Vermont plays next. Let me see if it's in this article, if I can find it. But, uh, no, Notre Dame definitely, definitely is a team to beat uh, – a team to beat in that mission league. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, they smacked Sarah around, and I know we didn't preview that game, but if you look how things have transpired with the Sarah Cavaliers this season, they've been Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde once again. They come out really well one week. They come out strong and play fast physical defense. They're able to execute on offense with their skilled players and their big-time lefty quarterback. And the next week, they come out and they lay an egg. They go on the road to Notre Dame in Sherman Oaks, and they get hammered. They, they don't just get hammered. They get dominated. They get dominated thoroughly. It's really disappointing uh, as an alumni that I am to watch a team that has so much talent and ability to go out there and get smacked around by a Notre Dame team. Like you said, they've got some guys. But I think Sarah's got more guys. And you get you get blasted. Yeah, it's a little embarrassing, GB. Yeah, you know, at this point, seeing how you, you spent only one year at Sarah Keith, I'd start calling yourself a losing girl. Up. Oh, there's no doubt. Until I, Sarah starts winning some games and making you proud to be to call yourself a Cav again. Well, well, listen, let me tell you something. I'm a losing girl Olympian. There's no question about it. Um, went to Sarah for one year. I did graduate from there, so I am alumni. That's just a definition. So, uh, but it, it's you know they still have a place in my heart, and to go and get smacked around like they did, and I'm looking, keep looking at the scores. You know, Notre Dame touchdown, Notre Dame touchdown, Notre Dame touchdown. It, it was it was pretty disappointing, and I'm just scratching my head at what's going on over there. Yeah, they got a kid at Notre Dame, um, Christian Grubb. He's a senior track guy who has been playing really good football. Uh, he had over 100 yards rushing in that game. Look at the stats right now. Then Mikhail Broussard, another kid, yeah. two-way athlete who's you know really talented as well. So uh, Notre Dame again, not saying they have better skilled guys than Sarah, but they do have some dudes. 
Yeah. Um, you know, pretty solid young sophomore quarterback, Cooper Meeks, who's I think going to be good and a potential D1 guy. But, uh, you know, the, a Sarah team that has, you know, Ron Ron Gilliam and Stovall and Lockhart and Bunkley and Brumfield should never be held to seven points. I mean, I don't think, you know, Bosco and Modern Day would hold that team to seven points. Yeah. I, that must have been a game, dude, where they just kind of imploded. And yeah. I don't want to talk too much on it because I, I didn't see it. But right. for them to only get held to seven points, you know, that must have just been just a disaster of a game. Yeah. So let's move it on. Move it along to a game that wasn't a disaster of a game. And that was the Bosco J. Sarah game, Keith. Right. And um, I think a lot of people had this one as a as a blowout coming in. I know you had Bosco fifty six to twenty eight. Yeah. So you had them doubling up. Uh, but J. Sarah, again, as we've been saying all year, is very, very good. And you know, the more I think about it and watch the game not in its entirety but watch the game game again um, kind of fast forward through some stuff I, I think that I don't think necessarily Bosco played a horrible game I think we need to give Jason more credit for how they played in scratching game plans and and there were some plays in here that definitely helped Jay Sarah that probably you don't see very often you know one of them you know was a block punch that they capitalized and scored. Then George Pine never fumbles the ball. He fumbled the ball late in the half. And Jay Sarah, so Jay Sarah scored two of their four touchdowns on a, on a block punt and a fumble. Now, I say that not to say, you know, oh, Bosco gave them the points. No, because you make the plays, right? Sure. Jay Sarah had to block the punch, Absolutely. cover the punch, and then score. That's right. They had to cause the fumble on Halani, recover the fumble, and then score. So I, I give Jay Sarah all the credit in the world for that. But I, I still feel... Um, I, I wasn't as disappointed in Bosco as, as I think some people are. I, I think Bosco is, is good. I just think Jay Sarah is a really good team that we should be saying, you know, dude, look, Jay Sarah is good. It, was, it wasn't like Bosco barely hung on and, and beat, you know, the Bad News Bears. Yeah. Jay Sarah, I, I think, deserves some props for how they played. And, and you know, they made DJ uncomfortable. Um, they made him, you know, they did a great rhythm thrower. But, you know, we saw in the modern day game last year, if you can get him off his launch point, you know, every, every quarterback has a spot that they want to throw from. And that's DJ. He's a like, grab it, first read, boom, balls out. And he throws it like no one we've ever seen. If you get him to move the pocket, right, move him outside his comfort zone, that's what Jay Sarah was able to do. They were able to blitz. They pressured many times with just a standard four-man pass rush. And he was only, I think, what, the stats of nine for 20 or something like yeah. that. A lot of it... It wasn't just because, you know, receivers weren't getting open. He didn't have a lot of time to throw, and they pressured him, harassed him. And, again, that's a credit to what Jay Sarah did, you know, game plan really well. And uh, so, yeah, I was really impressed with what Jay Sarah was able to do defensively, kind of making it difficult. George Filani went off. Keith Savage ran extremely hard. Yeah, he did. So, again, I think that shows you Bosco can beat you either way. You just you try to – get all about, you know, trying to pressure DJ, make him uncomfortable, well, shoot, here comes Halani and Savage coming right at you. But I, I think, you know, Jay Sarah showed the game plan. Harass DJ, get him out of his comfort zone, make him move from this launch point. You know, don't let him get to that spot they like to throw. It's like a three-point shooter in basketball. Don't let him catch and shoot. Don't let DJ just catch and throw. Run him you off know, the make line. Him move. Make him move right and left. That's right. And, and he doesn't throw as well. No one does, unless, you know, except for Bryce Young. No one throws as well. You know, running around and having to be in scramble mode, and again, I credit Jay Sarah for that. Yeah, I'm, I agree with everything you said. Uh, I think Jay Sarah deserves a lot of credit. 
I think um, they did a nice job of mixing things up, uh, playing a little zone, playing some man, bringing some pressure. I thought Genova was a difference maker coming off the edge, being physical, harassing DJ. Actually stripped DJ one play. Should have been a fumble, uh, but the refs didn't see it. Jay Sarah played a really good game, and I, th- I thought that it was a good matchup for Jay Sarah, considering you know they have a very nice balance themselves on offense. Chris Street is amongst the best here in California, running appeal. I've been you know singing Caden Bell's praises for over a year and a half now, um, and they have three really good receivers who all caught touchdowns. So with that being said, GB. I think it was a good matchup for Jay Sarah. They showed their balance. They showed their skill talent. Um, they showed their playmakers on defense. Where I was disappointed with Bosco is, you know, A, you need to be sound in the kicking game if you're going to be one of the best teams in the country, right? You get a punt block, and I understand that happens, but, you know, you can't allow that to happen. This is St. John Bosco, your number one team in the country. You don't come out and get your, your punt blocked at home. Secondly, you got to take care of the football. Halani's not a guy who fumbles often, but he did get the ball stripped from him from behind. Jay Sarah takes advantage. I was a little disappointed in Bosco's run defense. I thought Chris Street was giving way too many holes and giving way too much room. And I thought he exploited that and maintained that balance. If you're Bosco, you're the bigger, stronger, faster team. You have to make Jay Sarah one-dimensional. Bosco could not do that which resulted in a lot of one-on-one coverage down the field. Tariq Luckett did a nice job back shoulder game. Munir McLean did a nice job back shoulder game. He caught the fade. Luckett caught a couple back shoulders. He caught the ball over the middle. Shimon Moore exploited exploited the the middle of the secondary as well and caught a touchdown. Um, In addition to that, I thought Jay Sierra really showed out with their skill, talent, and their ability to execute. I thought Coach Harlow had a nice game plan and did a, they did a great job executing that. Um, like you said, credit Jay Sarah, um, but Bosco was not, they didn't show on Friday night the team that I think they are and thought that they would come out and show to be. Um, DJ, not his best performance at all, made some poor choices at times made some poor throws at times uh, made a couple big time throws which he seems to do every week um, really showed I thought his guts and toughness at the end of the game on that fourth and what, we, what was it Greg one fourth and one yeah um, and that and, was a, that was I don't the ref uh, the announcers didn't even make, make, make mention of it but the running back went the wrong way right <laughs> you know what I'm saying DJ that was all improvis- improvisation on him yeah so not to cut you off but uh, no I thought DJ actually did do a good job running the football yeah but um, I don't see I, I, again I don't think Boston played a perfect game by any any stretch so. If you just watch him for the first time, would you say that's the number one team in the country? Of course you wouldn't. No. But I don't think we need them. I mean, you could watch the NFL game every week and see a pump block piece. I don't want to ask these high school kids have to play a perfect game. You you know, you got a pump block. Oh, George Fonny. I mean, you, you watch NFL players fumble every game and get pump blocks every single game. And, and you know, Chris Street is really good, right? So he's going to get his yards. I thought overall, uh, you know, he got, he got his – 
you know, he ran hard, mm-hmm. but he had that 31-yard carry late in the game. But up until then, I'm looking at the stats right now, he finished 22 carries for 96 yards. So you take away that 31-yard game, he was only averaging three yards a carry. It was just, we I think we're both impressed by how hard he, how hard he ran, because a lot of those yards were all on him. But they actually held him in check for most of the game until that 31-yard game. It just looked like he was more, I think, because he had a, a, had a handful of negative runs, too. And then he'd go for five, and then he'd go for six, five, mm-hmm. six, and then negative. Five, and, six, and, one. And, and I think that's where I'm a little... <clears throat> I'm a little concerned, Greg, is because this Bosco team is bigger, stronger, and faster than everybody they're going to play against. You can't, even if without that 30-yard run, you can't let Chris Street average three and a half yards a carry. You're the bigger, think, faster, stronger team. You should dominate the, give me a second, you should dominate okay. the line of scrimmage, and you should play in the offensive backfield. Now, credit Jay Sarah. Harlow's a great offensive line coach great offensive coach he had his guys ready to play 99% of the time in football though Greg the bigger faster stronger opponent or adversary is gonna win the point of attack and that didn't happen on Friday night so it's just a little cause for concern for me when you talk about St. John Bosco yeah and and that to interrupt you um I, I think again, Jay Sarah, their their offensive line averages pretty close to 300 pounds. You mentioned Pat Harlow; they're well, really well coached and well schemed. And for me, if you go into that game, and obviously the goal was probably to hold, you know, the opposing running backs team to, you know, I mean, I don't think any DC is going to say, okay, our goal is zero yards rushing for no. running back. You no. got offers from all. No, I mean, I think you would, you would probably be pretty happy with, you know, two or three yards to carry. Okay. And, you know what I'm saying? So the guy's going to get some runs because you're not playing against a D8 line. He's playing against a team that has three or four Division One kids that averages almost 300 pounds. I mean, it's going to be a battle on both sides. This is like last year when Shamanad, they played him, right? And they held Andrew Van Buren to. 25, 30 yards rushing for the whole game. That was because, you know, the Summit offensive line had zero D1 guys, and that was a complete mismatch. This was, Jay Sarah's got some dudes up front, so it was going to be, I thought going into the game, I thought it was going to be a stalemate. So I was actually impressed that Chris Street was held to under 100 yards, and it would have been, you know, about 60 if it wasn't for that late 31-yard, you know, run that he had. And a lot of those yards, again, I gave it, on, I gave it to Chris Street. Dude, he ran, he got a ton of yards after contact after the, the the Bosco line, you know, I, I thought made great penetration, and then you saw Street just break a couple of tackles and push forward for a yard or two. I, so I wasn't as disappointed, I think, as you in the in the Bosco front seven. That's probably our only disagreement right here, I think. Yeah, and and that's fine. I guess probably because my expectations are really high, right? I'm a defensive guy, right? I was a defensive coordinator my entire life. Those kids at Bosco, I'm sure they're not happy with their performance up front on defense. You have those kids, you have that type of depth, that type of size, speed, and talent and physicality. You don't feel good this kid get 96 yards on you. I don't care if he had a, a, a 95-yard run at the end of the game that gave him 96 yards. As a defense, that doesn't feel good, especially if you want to be a dominant defense. A dominant defense doesn't give up that yardage. And it didn't show me, in which I thought it was, and I still think it is, but it just didn't perform like a dominant defense for me. Even on the back end, 
Caden Bell made throws. Those receivers made plays. A little bit of concern about the Bosco defense, Greg. They got a big yeah. matchup in a couple of weeks. They got to yeah. play against a, a really good receiver that wears number five. They got to play really against, against a really good quarterback that wears number nine. Um, they got to play against a solid offensive line or above that, um, led by, you know, probably the best offensive guard in the country in a 2020 class. They're not Jay Sarah, Greg. These are the Monarchs. Cause for concern. Yeah, no, I, I hear what you're saying. And, uh, no, I'll, I'll be honest. Um, and it wasn't just because of this game, but, you know, I think I've been I've been saying, you know, head to head, I thought Bosco would, would beat Modern Day. I've been kind of starting to lean a little bit more toward Modern Day, not just because of this game, but just because watching Modern Day play, you know, a couple other games. And, and then, obviously, this game did have something to do with it. You're kind of just figuring out, okay, if Jay Sarah can do this, how does Modern Day counter? What would Bosco do against Marday in this situation? You're constantly looking for those little in-game sure. type adjustments in situations, and you know I, I think this game does have me thinking that Marday, you know, probably should go in that game favored. Whereas before, I would have said no, Bosco. Yeah, I still I still love Bosco. I like like you mentioned, I do have concerns um, on the back end a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, although, you know, again, I, I want to give Caden Bell credit because you know Trent Dilfer, who's you know really sharp quarterback guy, always had the same. And I think it's proven to be true. There is no defense for a perfect throw. Sure. You, you cannot defend a perfect throw. And he would illustrate these in, in the chalk talks during the mid 11 of, of name, you know, pick out, you know, these great NFL cores. And they, they got beat if the throw was perfect. Not just back shoulder, shoulder face. Some of those throws, Keith, that Caden Bell made sure. were college level throws, small window. We're talking about a foot of space that he had to get the ball in there. And then he's got guys, you know, I mean, Jay Sarah has probably a better receiving core than Modern Day does. I'll take Brew McCoy over all of Jay Sarah guys. You take Brew out of the equation, the next three best guys are all Jay Sarah kids, right? Would you agree? I mean, who's Modern Day's number two guy? Is he, is he better than Shimmy or Rocket? Or Huff, I, I take I take Huffman Dixon, but I hear what over you're saying. Three? I hear what you're saying. Yeah, sure. I, I would not. I would not. No, I, not I over. Not, I didn't say over those three, but I think he fits into that. Oh, scenario. Do I love, no, I like him. Don't sure. I like. I like Huff. Sure, I'm sure. Saying, no, he's no, he's. I'm saying like. I'm saying my point was Jay Sarah's got some. Got Absolutely. Some guys, got some talent. Absolutely. So, uh, but modern day, you know, they'll scheme. We're getting way ahead of ourselves, dude. We should probably dial it back because we're, we're talking modern day Bosco. Like we always end up. <laughs> people are probably turning off the podcast right now, saying all oh, these freaking guys again. So. Why don't we jump to uh, talk a little bit about some overuse and some of the injuries that we've seen this year, Keith? Yeah, so, um, you know, we're going to wrap this thing up, but we want to discuss it, at least talk about, at least put it out in the atmosphere. Some of the overuse problems with year-round football. I'm a little disturbed. I'm a little bothered, Greg. I don't want to point the finger at one particular entity, but I just want to talk in general, right? Right. Max Williams, a kid that I really love and care about, nicknamed him the Golden Boy. Special kid, comes from a great family. Max Sr. is a terrific dad. Uh, Max tears his ACL. He's a year-round football guy, right? Uh, He's at the camps. He's at the seven-on-sevens. He's at everything, right? Kid loves football, was bred to play the game, and I'm all for that. Tears his ACL. Kyle Ford. Again, 
year-round football guy. Love the kid. Unbelievable kid. Dan Ford, terrific father. Um, tears his ACL. Year-round football guy. Camps. Seven-on-seven tournaments. Blah, blah, blah. Uh, take it to a couple guys across the country that who are you know, Pro Football Hall of Fame All-Americans. Ryan Davis, commit to Georgia, one of the top linebackers in the country, year-round football guy, torn ACL. Jalen Catalan, one of the top safeties in America, year-round football guy, torn ACL. At what point, Greg, do we start examining the overuse of the same muscles, ligaments, tendons, and movements that these kids are pounding away on year after year, off season and in season, to where these ligaments and tendons can't take it and they snap. When 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 does this become a discussion? Oh, I think it's been a discussion. And you know, ironically, women athletes are and, and someone told me just because of the way, you know, God designed the body, mm-hmm. but Girl soccer, volleyball players suffer more torn ACLs than any other sport. Right. And again, it's, it kind of goes back to kind of what you're going with, and just kind of the year round. You know, the body does need rest. Right. So it's kind of a fine line. How do you determine, you know, how much rest versus how much you train? Because obviously, a lot of part of the training isn't just to make you stronger. A lot of the training you do is to not get injuries. Right. Yet by overtraining, you can create injuries sure right so it's it's definitely a fine line i and i know when we talked about this last week about talking about this this week i talked to some trainers that i know that i really respect and one of the guys who who's a trainer that i really respect he, his son actually tore his acl and uh, he's a wrestler and it wasn't an injury it was kind of like cal force cal force wasn't an, an overtrained injury like, i think max is 100 percent man he just his body I think just trained so much that he didn't give it a rest. Kyle Forbes was was a, a simple football play where he planted on his knee at the exact same time a defender hit him on the knee sideways. Yeah. So I mean that happens to every player one hundred out of hundred times if you plant your knee, explode off of it at the same time you plant your knees and your foot on the ground a, a guy's helmet hits the side of your knee, there's no way for your knee to go except for it just explode. But it definitely needs to be discussed and because it is, I feel, a serious issue. And Kyle Ford even played baseball, but he was still doing a lot of the camp, you know, a handful of the seven on seven tournaments. Sure. So I wish I knew, you know, what the cutoff was between training properly and overtraining, how much rest versus, you know, go and, and do this. Is it a matter of is it certain exercise that you can do or can't do or shouldn't do? Is it, you know, take a month off, take a week off, take two months off, don't do any of it at all? Do some of it? I mean, I, I don't have that answer. I wish I did, but everyone I talked to from high school coaches to trainers all said the same exact thing. Yes, all these injuries are 100%. They didn't even skip a beat. 100% from just doing too much in the offseason and not giving yourself, your body, your joints a chance to recover. You know, I liken it to a guy who's trying to get out of the shackles. Or If you keep taking that axe and you keep hammering at that chain, at some point, Greg, that chain is going to snap. And if you ask me, that's a very 
good example of what's happening with these kids knees it's bothersome because I'm not sure that everybody's concerned about these kids I think they're more concerned about themselves and the kid snaps his knee because he's overtraining and it's like oh he snapped his knee well at some point people have to start taking responsibility in the fact that these kids are snapping their knees and make adjustments it's 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 bothersome it's disturbing um and i think that you know the more we talk about it the more dialogue we create we can develop some awareness in terms of you know uh, athlete injuries and overuse training um it's, it's really tough to see these guys go down. I mean, if you think about it, were they having these injuries back? You know, did, did Walter Payton? Was, you know, was he doing all? Was he playing? Was he doing all this stuff? You know, when he was training. What about Jerry Rice? You know, I know, and I can take it back to when I was a coach, Greg, which wasn't that long ago. I never had a guy tear an ACL, right? And I coached for ten years, right? Um, I would say that. We participated in maybe one camp per year. Camp meaning, you know, maybe went to a USC camp. Maybe I sent a kid. Uh, maybe we competed in one seven-on-seven tournament. Maybe the Watts Summer Games, right? We didn't do a lot of the same movements that we do in season in the off season. We never had a guy tearing ACL. The offseason was made for getting bigger, stronger, and faster. Not repeating the same football movements over and over, taking that axe, banging that chain until that chain snapped. I'm not saying I have all the answers. I'm not saying that I'm a perfect coach. But I can give you the facts, right? I'm giving you facts here. Never had a guy tear an ACL. Based on the offseason training that we did, we didn't we didn't face this problem and this problem is becoming more like an epidemic um, if you look up the definition and if you ask me GB and that's all I got I to mean, say about that yeah no I I think it is I, I don't want to I don't want to exaggerate it and I'm not saying you did by calling it an epidemic I mean if we're just just playing devil's advocate here you know, if you took the percentage of kids Keith obviously and said okay let's line up you know pick a hundred players who do a lot of off-season, seven-on-seven, and a lot of training, it's still a small group that tear their ACLs, right? The, the majority of the guys that we cover, we don't every week say, hey, uh, 20 kids tear their, tear their ACL. Mm-hmm. Yes, there are some select few, and the select few that we've talked about are high-profile kids. Yeah, You know, Mace Puna doing rugby. You know, you mentioned Max and Kyle and the kids, you know, from outside the West. But there's still a ton who, who aren't tearing it. So that's going to be the pushback is like, what about these other 100 kids? You know, you, you just named five, but there's still 500 that are doing it, and they're fine. So, again, there's going to be there's going to be that pushback of, well, maybe it was because something else. Was it because the offseason seminar or the offseason training? Because look at these other guys who didn't have the issue. So I think that's the conversation definitely needs to have. We, we just had it. But I think uh, – you know, there's always going to be a little pushback because it's still going to be kind of a more of a smaller minority than it is, you know, a large group. And I guess that's, uh, the, that's the, something that will the cross fact, that bridge. GB, the fact that somebody would, would not take into consideration that this overuse training 
is a big possibility on why these kids are getting hurt. The fact that someone would not take either a responsibility or be receptive to that narrative. That's the problem in itself. Yeah. I don't think anyone would listen to that and say, Hey, Max's was a case of just dude. He didn't give a chance. I don't think anyone would say, you know what? You're right about that one. We, we do need to put that in consideration. We do need to think more about how much rest we give the body, how much training does this kid do. We need to do every tournament, every weekend. Do we need to go, and do, you know, stuff on the beach. We need to do, you know, cone drills every single day. So I, I, I do think people would understand, and, and at least in the back of their head, or hopefully, you know, maybe in the front of their head too, hmm. I, I think they would still understand, yeah, you know what, let's start thinking more about how we can protect the body, what can we do, as opposed to just go, go, go 100 miles an hour. So, I, no, I, 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 I get what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah, so hey, um, glad we had that discussion. Um, I'm looking at my Facebook Live right now, and there are some people chiming in. Um, Stay ready so you don't have to get ready, GB. That's an old saying, and I think that old saying is needs to come to an end, um, considering you know the, these overused problems. But anyways, Greg Biggins, thank you, my man. This is the Transparent Truth. We appreciate everybody for joining us who's going to be listening on Wednesday. Everybody that's on Facebook right, right now, tuned in, uh, checking on us live. I know I got Greg finally on where you can hear him, and um, I, I'm thankful for that. GB, I'm thankful for you getting on and uh, doing what we do, you know, week in and week out. My man, thank you very much. So, uh, for all of our top performers and uh, you know all the teams who participated this past week, keep going out doing your thing. Uh, for the GOAT, Greg Biggins, it's your boy Coach Keith. There's a new sheriff in town, and his name's Richie Hammond. Y'all be cool.